Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, we began a new series three weeks ago on the life of Abraham. And today we prayed for the Jewish nation. The promise of God that came that ultimately brought the Messiah all began with Abraham. His story, he was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of... I love my name being called in the Bible. And today we pick up, uh, we begin where Abram's father was on his way to Canaan. That's where he wanted to go. And he stopped 400 miles away in a place called Haran. And we discovered later that the reason he stopped there, one of the reasons is he had a son that died prematurely and his name was Haran. And from that, we talked about how the enemy would like to take places and moments in our life where we experience loss or pain a divorce, a loss of a loved one, some loss in finances or business, or maybe in relationships, even in church. And the enemy would like to stop us right there and allow us to never reach the full potential of what God put in our heart to be or to do. And then it's there that God comes and he speaks to Abram and gives him a promise, the promise we talked about last week. And we'll pick up right now in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And I talked to you that in 1948, when Israel finally, after 2000 years became a nation, for the first 5,000 years of Israel, you can read their history. It's the Old Testament. And then right after the time of Christ, the Romans came in and it went through a process of many generations, up to 2,000 years, where the Jews lost their land until 1948. So after 2,000 years, God restored them back to the land that they currently are at this very moment. And at that time, I told you in 1948 that the strongest nation on the earth was Great Britain. There was a mantra, the sun never set on the British Empire. But the British Empire, they were the one group of people along with others, but they were one of the main, they, they were occupying the land and they didn't want the Jews to have their land back. But their primary ally to get their land back was the United States of America. Do you know who became the greatest nation on earth? Do you know why? Because those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him with his nephew Lot with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all his possessions, and all that they had, and gathered the people together that they'd acquired in Iran, and they departed to go to the land of, which is modern-day Israel. 
So they came to the land of Canaan and Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem, a place in Canaan, as far as the tinner booth trees near Morah. And the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I have given this land. And there he built an altar as the Lord had appeared to him. And he moved from there to a mount east of Bethel and pitched his tent with, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built another altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed going on still towards the south. So in this story, we say Abram, the father of faith, the Lord's appeared to him twice in a period of just nine verses and told him to get up and go. And then he tells him when he gets there from Haran, he goes 400 miles till he gets to Canaan, which is now modern day Israel. And as soon as he gets there, he builds an altar to the Lord and the Lord meets him and he continues traveling across the land. And then he stops at a place called Bethel, which we're going to talk about the meanings of those names in a moment. And there he builds another altar to the Lord. He is obeying God. He's doing all that God has asked him to do. So how many of you know that when you obey God and you walk by faith, that everything should get much better? Okay. How many of you know that when you obey God and you walk in faith, sometimes things get worse? Genesis chapter 12, verse 10 tells us what happened when he got to the promised land. And now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to live temporarily for the famine of the land was oppressive and severe. And when he was about to enter into Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, now ladies, listen carefully. Listen, I know that you are a beautiful woman. Now ladies, if your husband starts randomly telling you how beautiful you are, it's a setup. Okay? So when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me to acquire you. But they will let you live. Please tell them that you are my sister, so things will go well with me for your sake, and my life will be spared. Me, my. A lot of me and my here. I'm me, oh my. And my life will be spared because of you. And when Abram entered into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was very beautiful, and Pharaoh's princes and officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken for the purpose of marriage into Pharaoh's house, his harem. Therefore, Pharaoh treated Abram well for her sake, and he acquired sheep and oxen and male and females and donkeys and male and female servants and camels. But the Lord punished Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because he had taken Sarai, Abram's wife. And when Pharaoh finally figures out why plagues are coming on him, he calls Abram and says, what is this that you've done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say that she's my sister so that I would take her to be my wife? Now then, here she is. Take your wife and go. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him off of Pharaoh's property with his wife and all that he had. Eek. 
And apparently they went into marriage counseling for a long time. I mean, just, let me just ask you a question. Does this seem like the father of faith? No. Seem like the father of fear, doesn't it? Does this seem like a man who all of us are going to change our spiritual heritage back to? That the three major religions of the world are going to claim him as their spiritual father. Christians, Jews, and even the Muslims claim him. Abram. Answer? No. So let me start by just asking a few obvious questions. Where did God tell him to go? Canaan. What did God tell him when he got to Canaan? This is your land for you and your children and your children's children forever. It is an eternal inheritance. Here's the final question. Did God tell him to go to Egypt? In each of the segments of the story, God appears to him. God tells him. God says this. God says that. And then all of a sudden it says famine comes and Abraham said, or Abraham did. Why did he go to Egypt? Why did he go to Egypt? What happened when Abraham's faith was actually tested with a famine? I started off with a question. Well, is it possible that you can obey God? You can do what his word tells you to do. You can be tithing. You can be serving. You can be sharing your faith with others. You can give your life to Christ completely and things actually get worse. Can they get worse? Well, they did for him. And I want to show you the four steps that he walked through to get to where he was. First, famine followed his faithful obedience. Famine followed, you would think, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I remember when I gave my life to Christ, I was so excited, I went home and I told my dad and my first of four stepmoms. And they got so excited, they kicked me out of the house. They didn't kick me out of the house when I was doing drugs. They didn't kick me out of the house when I had a party that got raided by the police and one of my friends took a pistol and shot holes in the wall. That they didn't kick me out of the house when I stole. They didn't kick me out of the house when I did all kinds of crazies. But when I gave my life to Jesus, that was too much. You know. You know what happened when you said you're no longer going to that church? You know what happened when you no longer would go to those parties? You know what happened when you would no longer hang out with those same people? When you would no longer dress that way? Come on, girls. You know how you used to dress. And, and you would think, I've given my life to Christ. Surely I'm doing what God wants me to do. Surely it's going to get better. Remember the many times that Jesus would say to his disciples, they would be on a boat and he'd say, okay, let's go to the other side. And almost invariably every time what happened? A storm came up. I mean, I thought the disciples would figure it out. Like, hey, we're going by a boat. No, no, I'm not going. <laughs> I, I, one time he was in a boat, a storm was so bad they were fearing for their lives and guess what he was doing? Taking a nap. Don't you hate it when you're in a crisis and everybody won't get as mad as you are? Another time he sent them and they were in the middle of the night, another storm, they thought they were going to die and Jesus came walking on the water and when they saw him, they really thought they were going to die. 
Is it possible that I can do everything that God wants me to do to the best of my ability and things still not go well? Listen carefully to me. There's two ways you always know something is God. Number one, he asks you to take a step of faith and in obedience you do. Number two, opposition comes from the enemy to stop you. When Jesus said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, there is God's will and there is the enemy's will. And they are constantly opposed to one another. And when we begin to walk by faith and take steps of obedience, the enemy is always prepared to fight us. Here's the second thing that happened. Faithlessness followed the famine. I, I don't know about you, but I've been through times of discouragement. How many have been discouraged before? Discouragement is is usually followed by, by its twins, disappointment and doubt. Disappointment and doubt. And all of a sudden you were so sure of what you knew you were supposed to do and you were standing on the promises of God and you were praying for your kids, but now look at where they are. Now look at what's going on in your marriage. And now what's looking to happen in your business. And you look at all these things and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like I go to church, like I'm reading the Bible, like I'm obeying God. Like why is this happening to me? Can you imagine the conversations that Sarah had with Abram? Now, I don't know if you noticed, but women have a good memory. Because you're going to find out as we go through the life of Abram, Abram does some stuff that she asked him to do. Like, like, like when they left Egypt, and you know they left with male, female servants, one of them was named Hagar. And in the course of this story, She's not going to have children as we go into the future. And she's going to say to him, hey, take Hagar and sleep with her. Let her be the one that brings a child instead of waiting miraculously for God to bring one through me. And, and Abram says yes, even though God told him it would come from Sarah. And you wonder, why would he do that? i tell you why. Because she had a good memory. Oh, you don't want to take her? I left everything in Haran to follow you. I could have went with the best looking guy in high school that I went with, but no, I married Abe. And we started being prosperous and blessed and business was going good and everything was going great. And then you said, God told us to go. And you said that when we got there, we was going to have children. And you said when we got there, it would be a land that would be blessed. It would be a posterity for our children and our children's children. And we got here and not only did I leave mama and them, it's a mess here. We're in the middle of a drought. Our livestock didn't have anything to eat. I was miserable. Then we leave and we finally go to Egypt. I didn't want to go to Egypt. You know I hate Egypt, but you wanted to go. No, we got to go to Egypt. You, got, you know Egypt, baby. We know they got it going on in Egypt. And we went all the way into Egypt. And when we got there, you know what a sellout is? A sellout? And you were so afraid, you gave me, afraid, you were afraid that you made me say, I was your sister and not your wife. And, and then, thank God, thank God, God messed up Pharaoh. Aren't you grateful for the grace of God that kept you a million times when you failed on your own? Aren't you grateful that it's not always just my faith, but it's also God's faithfulness when I'm weak and I don't have faith? She remembered. Can you imagine Abram's 
prayer, his quiet time, his morning devotion. Lord, I did everything you want me to do. I, I left everything. I, I left the family that I did know. I, you said I was going to have a child and you promised me all this. And I got here and things are just worse. They're just worse. And now my wife's mad at me. I don't know if you've ever had your wife's words and expectations weigh on you before. I haven't, but I've counseled men who have. I did in the other services, but since she's sitting on the front row, I haven't. That's a little Abraham lie. Faithlessness followed the famine. Here's the third thing that happened. Fear followed his faithfulness. Well, what is the opposite of faith? What's the opposite of faith? Fear. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us what faith is. Listen to what it says. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things. You know what fear is? Fear is the fear of things that you hope won't happen to you, but you probably believe they will happen to you, even though you have no evidence that they're going to happen to you. It's the same thing, just in reverse. Fear causes me to make premature decisions with long-term consequences. Here's the fourth thing that happened. Failure always follows fear. Failure always follows fear. Fear of desperation led to self-preservation. He looks at her. They're going to save me because of you. Listen to me, man. I want to talk to you a minute. I, I wasn't raised by a father that showed me how to be a man. It was a spiritual father, my pastor, that showed me how to be a man. But I can tell you what is not a man. To put the weight and expectations of your well-being and your security and your finances and straddle that on your wife. That's not God. Out of all of these things that he did, I think looking at her and going, if you don't do this, they will kill me. My whole well-being is wrapped up in you. Listen carefully to me. I love Michelle, and we've been married almost 42 years, and I'm not saying that she's perfect, but there's somewhere between perfect and Cajun perfect. That's her. I even said that in the services when you weren't here. It's on recording. I want to say hi to the people in jail again. <laughs> hey, Abbeville. <laughs> but, but I can tell you this. Listen to me. I don't care how good a wife, how good a woman, how good a mother, how good a friend, how, good a good, how strong your wife is. God never made your wife to carry the weight of the leadership of your family. He made you too. He made you too. Failure always follows fear. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Watch this. Watch this progression when we allow our emotions to drive our decisions. Famine led to faithful, faithlessness. Faithlessness led to fear. Fear led to failure. So pastor, what, what should I do when I'm in a drought? Well, what should I do when I am obedient to God and my obedience brings obstacles, not blessings? In other words, what do you do when you do what's right but things aren't going right? 
Can anybody identify with this besides me? Okay, I want to give you a few steps of what to do in those moments that Abram didn't do. He would later come back and do. Number one, stay where God sent you. Say that with me. Okay, if you're married, stay with the person you're married to. I could fill up as many people in this room, and Michelle knows this is true. Michelle knows this is true. I could fill up as many people as in this room right now as couples that have come to me since we've been here for the last 40 years and said, I'm not happy with my mate. I just don't believe that they're the right person for me. When I married them, I wasn't in a good place in my life. And now I'm married to them. And past, I, I mean, I just think I need to find somebody else. Look at me. Getting together with somebody else will not change you from being you. I love you. Don't be mad at me. I'm doing group marriage counseling right now. It won't change you. But, but I'm not happy. Look at me. God never gave you a mate to make you happy. Your fulfillment comes in your relationship with God, and you can share that with somebody. They're not the source of it. He is. Is this okay? Okay. I know some of you are mad. And I'm glad you're mad because I'd rather you be mad in church and reconcile it with God than be mad when you live out, leave out of here and make choices that you later look back and regret because you sold out what God had promised to give you. He was in the promised land. He was in the place that God was going to give him. You know what the word Canaan means in the Hebrew? It means that which humbles and subdues. So when God sends you to the place that he sends you, it's not going to be perfect because there's things in you that he wants to do in you while you're there. While you're there. You, you know what I've discovered about marriage? Marriage doesn't change you. It exposes you. It exposes you. It reveals the real you. It reveals the real you. And God allows you to walk into situations that are even the promise of God for you. And while you're there, he loves you enough to not only get you the place that he wants you to be, but to make you into the person he's always wanted you to be in the process. He has to subdue the enemy, which sometimes is the inner me. Sometimes it's the inner me. I don't care how mad you are at other people. I could show you the person that's done more harm to me personally than anybody else in the world. I carry a picture of them. Every time I look in the mirror, I see them. I've done more harmful things to myself than anybody has ever done to me. And every person here can say the same thing. It's the first person that God has to conquer. It's the inner me. It's me. God wants to change me. I said this a few weeks ago, but I think it bears repeating because it's so true. I have met people that literally are in the world. I mean, married to people that, I mean, you can't even describe. I'm not talking about adultery or abuse. Let's move that off the table. Just unkind. 
They, they don't care. They care about themselves and not the other person. They, I mean, they're, they're selfish. They're self-fulfilled. They're, okay. And I've seen some of those people be the most, that are married to them, be the most precious, kind, gracious, humble people I know. It's true. Because instead of thinking they can get it from them, they just keep getting it from him. And I've seen people that are blessed in more ways than you can imagine, but there are two or three things they're made they're not happy with. And they allow those things to become so big that instead of seeing all the blessing that God's given them, all they can see is the two or three things they're not satisfied with. There's two ways to get more. One way is to climb over other people to get more, and the other way is to be more grateful for what God has given you already that you haven't thanked him for. When he goes back from Egypt, he goes back to Bethel, back to the altar that he built there. And do you know what the word Bethel means? There's a lot of churches named that. It means the house of God, the house of God. He leaves Egypt and he goes back to the house of God. Look at me. The enemy can't wait to get you out of the house of God. He can't wait to get you out of the house of God. You know, when you look at the Bible, the Bible gives an analogy. There are animals that are reflective of us as children of God. What are those animals? Lions? Say it loud. Yeah. Sheep. Do you know what defense mechanism sheep have? Huh? Anybody know? They can't even go beside rapid waters because if they get in there, they'll get literally their, their coats, if they're unshaven, will pull them under and it will drown them. That's why he says, Dave, Psalmist David writes, he leads me beside still waters, safe places. That's what happens to you when life gets going, 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 and it drowns you. And now, do you know what mechanism sheep have for protection? So when they're in a flock and a wolf comes in, all of the alarms go up. And then guess who comes out? He comes out with the Glock. Like Medea. Somebody going down. Okay, now watch this, watch this. So how can the wolf always guarantee he gets a lamb or a sheep? Get the lamb or the sheep away from the flock and away from the shepherd. Say two. What does that mean? The end. It's done. It's done. It's done. You, you don't need to be in church because I need to see you. I love you. I hope to see you. I'll shake your hand, kiss. You know me, I kiss every woman on the cheek that hadn't, didn't, you know, as long as they've shaved, I, I'll kiss everybody on the way out. I mean, 
I don't kiss mustaches and goatees, but everybody else, I kiss on the way out, love on y'all. I mean, I, I hope, look at me. You need to be in the presence of God. Something happens when you saw this precious woman of God leading us in worship and you feel the spirit of God and you're encouraged and your cup is filled to overflowing. You need that. I love you. Those of you watching at home, you're great. You're not getting that. You're not getting that. You need to be in God's house. You need to be in God's house. Here's the second thing. Don't give in to fear. It isn't that you aren't going to be afraid, but you don't have to give in to fear. Fear can knock at the door and you don't have to answer and invite it in. So some, some, some of you think if something is fearful, it must not be God. Listen to me. I have never done anything significant in my whole life, but I wasn't completely afraid. One fear was, look at all the bad things that could possibly happen. The other fear was, what if I disappoint the one that loves me the most, who's always spared me, saved me, helped me, redeemed me, and carried me in my darkest hour? And that fear overcame the other fear. Paul writes his young son of the Lord, Timothy, who's pastoring 40,000 people. And he writes him because he, he knows the job he has is overwhelming. And listen to what he says to him because he's prone to fear in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. This is why I remind you to do what? Fan the flames, the gracious gift of God, that inner fire, that special endowment which is in you through the laying on of my hands with those of the elders in ordination. Watch this, read this with me. For did not give us a spirit of, or, or. So if God didn't give you a spirit of fear or timidity or cowardice and you have one, who gave it to you? We know God didn't give it to you, but instead he gives something else that you can recognize. He has given us a spirit of, power and of, and of sound judgment and a personal discipline, abilities that result in calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. But pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. Listen to me. I did a fentanyl overdose funeral this week. Lady couldn't afford the funeral. So a friend from this church paid for it. The mama was at the back screaming and yelling, no, 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 God, no, no, no. Screaming as I wouldn't even know we were going to have the funeral. As we walked her down. Look right here. The faith I'm talking about, about resisting fear, is a faith that will keep you even in your darkest hours and darkest moments of your life. How do, I, how do I fan the flames, pastor? Listen to me. By reminding yourself. By reminding yourself. How do you, what do you mean remind myself? Remind yourself that God is with you. Remind yourself that God didn't change his mind when obstacles came in the middle of my obedience. Remind yourself that God did not give me a spirit of fear. So if fear is trying to come on me, it's not from God, it's from somebody else. Know that I am where God wants me and that God loves me so much that if I wasn't where he wanted me, he loves me enough to make it plain where I need to be. God's ability to speak to you and me is greater than our inability to hear if we want to listen. 
Look at me. There, there's not a daddy here that your son comes and goes, Daddy, what can I do to please you? Guess. What do you mean, just guess? Well, what if I make wrong? Well, just guess. And if you wouldn't do that, why in the world do you think God would? Why do you think God would? Remind yourself that God is with you. And sometimes, sometimes when, when, when you are discouraged, how many have been discouraged before? Really discouraged. Raise your hand. Real discouraged. Real discouraged. The psalmist David had been out to battle, attacking the enemies of God. And while he was gone, the enemies came in and they stole his wives, his warriors' wives and children and left with them. And the his warriors were so angry, they thought about stoning him and killing him. And listen to what it says, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the men spoke of stoning him, because the souls of them were bitterly grieved. Each man for his sons and his daughter. But David did what? And in the Lord. Look at me. Sometimes you have to speak to yourself. Sometimes you have to look at yourself and say, God is with me. I'm a born again, blood washed child of God. The spirit of God is living in me. I know it doesn't look good now, but God is with me. And because circumstances change, it doesn't mean God's changed. And it doesn't mean his word has changed. It doesn't mean his word has changed. Here's the third thing. Don't let go of your endurance. Paul writes Hebrews and he says, be Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do what? Which is exactly what the enemy wants to stop you from doing. Then you will receive all that he has promised you. The word endurance in the Greek is hupomino. It means to stay under or to bear up courageously. In other words, stay under it until you get over it. Someone else said it like this. The test will pass when you pass the test. And then here's the last one. As I close, don't let go of God's promises until you see his provision. I, I can't tell you the parents, the mates I've prayed with, and I hear them say this, Pastor, I've held on to the promises of God, but things aren't changing. Things aren't changing. What do I do now? What do I do now? Do you know when God gave Abraham Israel? 7,000 years ago. The first 5,000 years of it, you can read in the Old Testament. And after the time of the Romans, it went through 2,000 years of them not having their land until 1948. You know why? Because God's got a good memory and he doesn't forget his promises. He's got a good memory and he doesn't forget his promises. So pastor, how, how am I going to stand until that time? Let me give you this last passage. One of my favorite and I'll close Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay. It, it, it's not your in-laws, your outlaws, your next door neighbors, but against principalities and powers against rulers of darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in okay do we live at a wicked time 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Why? So you will be able to withstand when? Do we live in the evil day? When Paul wrote this, do you think he knew what Snapchat was? TikTok? Do you think that he would have known that 30 billion people, there's 8 billion people on earth, hit on pornography on one site last year? One, 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 one. In one month, 30 billion people hit on one pornographic site. We live in a day where we don't pursue evil. Evil pursues you. You're just sitting there looking at news on your phone and all of a sudden something pops up. Nasty Nikki says, call me. Like, who? You're, like, you're just like scrolling through and Nasty Nikki pops up. You don't even know who, how did that... Do you know why? We live in a day where we don't have to pursue evil. Evil is pursuing us. So you better put on the whole armor of God so that you can withstand in that evil day. And then he says this, and having done all to stand, having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your ways with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And I love what one great preacher used to say. He said, you stand therefore till you get what you're standing there for. As Christians, we fight from a place of victory. All we get, Jesus defeated the enemy. All you got to do is hold on to his victory for every area of your life. Stand at the cross. He defeated the enemy 2,000 years ago and hold on to the promises of God. You say, Pastor, you, you get like real fired up about this. Look at me. When I was walking up in front of my mama's bar, when I was 14, 15 years old, pictures of naked women all over the walls, prostitutes in the house that I lived in, a mirror on the ceiling of the bed I slept in every night. You know what kept me? It sure wasn't the environment. It was the promises of God that were in me that were greater than everything that was around me. Are you glad I didn't quit then? Look at me and your children and your friends and your loved ones will be glad that you held on to the promises of God and you didn't quit either. Today, you know what the enemy's still trying to do? Take away the land God gave Abram 7,000 years ago. Do you know that the Jews are the greatest living witness of the truth of God's word and the faithfulness of God? For 2,000 years, they didn't have their land until God said, I'm giving it back to you in spite of the fact that everybody around you hates you. That's why the majority of every single ethnicity, if you were here last week, you heard me say, you know the number one group is of the wealthiest billionaires in the world? Because God's still fulfilling his promise. He's still fulfilling his promise. I love what one black preacher said. He said, he's slow, but he's show. He's slow, but he's show. Look at me. He's slow. But these promises are yes and amen from Genesis to Revelation, and they don't change. 
Let me ask you a question. How many of you are standing for something, a family, friend, a loved one, a situation? Raise your hand. You're standing for someone. I want you to hold your hands out like this and open them up on your lap and set them there. And then I want you to think of the promises that God has given you. Both me and my household shall be saved. Acts 16, 31. The seed of the righteous will be delivered. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want you to hold those promises that represent a person, a loved one, a friend, a mate, a financial situation. And now I want you to close your hands. Hold them tight. Father, today in the name of Jesus, we unite together as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And just as we prayed for our brothers, Jews in Jerusalem and their preservation, we unite together for safety and for divine provision for them and for every person in this room. Every hand is closed that represented a broken relationship with a son or a daughter or grandson or granddaughter, a mama, daddy, a sister, a brother. Physical healings that need to take place. Or some relationships that truly need a miracle that are like a resurrection. You're the God that raises the dead. There's nothing too hard for you. Today, we unite together in faith. And we stand at the foot of the cross and we're going to stand there for it till we get what we're standing there for. We agree together right now for every mate, every child, every grandchild, every loved one, every business situation. And Lord, we declare it's in your hand now. We trust you. We trust you. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, but the substance of things hoped for. We're holding that substance in our hand right now. And that represents your hand. And now with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question in the world. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. You say, well, pastor, I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. You say, what does that mean, pastor? Every person born since Adam and Eve has been born spiritually dead. God is a spirit. And the only way you can know God is to become spiritually alive. Jesus said in John 3, 3, to a religious man that was being born again. So with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I'm asking everyone to be still for a moment. I want to ask you, have you been born again? I didn't say you have to be born again to see the kingdom of heaven and to know God. Jesus said that in John 3, 3. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've been Christ, I've been baptized, I've joined the church, but I've never prayed to be born again. But I want to know God. I want to know him. I want a relationship with him. I want him to live inside me. I need a new beginning. And I want to start with the one that made me and loves me. If that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand high and I'm going to pray for you right at your seat, right where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just praying for you right at your seat, right where you are. This is as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. And he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. And C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
as you turn away from sin to be born again. So if that's you, if you've never prayed to be born again, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand high. I'm going to pray for you right at your seat. One, God brought you here. If somebody may have invited you, it was God working that brought you. Two, even in these last few days, he's been orchestrating. He's been speaking to you. You know it. You feel it on the inside now. That's not emotions. That's God talking to you. And now's your time to be born again. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. All right. You can put your hands down. Twenty-two. I see that in the back. Last ten seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these last twenty-two. Well, my heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I know it. I don't know why I've waited. I don't know why I'm afraid. I want to be afraid. I need God and I want to be born again today. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. Raise your hand and wave it at me. I'm asking this last time for you. Join these 22, 23, 24, 25. All right. That church, 26. Let's pray out loud with all of those that raised their hand to be born again. Let's join them and pray out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt my sin and my shame and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go and you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my father. Jesus is my savior and I'm born again In Jesus' name, amen.